Hi, thanks for uh, joining us tonight again. Um, I'll get you to pick up Genesis chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I just want to paint a little picture for you before we look at the scripture. Uh, Because tonight I'm going to talk to you about a boat with no rudder. A little bit of an unusual message title, I get that. But I think it will explain itself as we move through. So here's the picture I want to paint. Imagine you're being in a boat, you're on the ocean and a large storm comes and you're battling away at the helm, at the steering wheel, you're fighting away at the wheel, you're, trying to, you're fighting the storm to get the boat into its best position to deal with the oncoming waves. The waves are huge, the wind is, is squalling, there's rain, the visibility is really very little and imagine you've been fighting this thing for hours you're exhausted, you're, you're fearful, you're just unsure of what, when this thing is going to end this storm. And then as you turn the wheel at the helm, you feel a snap. And that wheel just loses all its tension. And it com- goes completely loose. Then you look back at the back of the boat and you see that you now have no rudder. The rudder is completely broken off. So now... You have no rudder, but you have no ability to steer that boat. And you're now at the mercy of the waves. You're at the mercy of all that's happening in that ocean. The current, the waves, the wind. What more can you really do? There's not a lot you can do, right? The storm itself brought with it plenty of uncertainty because storms are generally pretty unpredictable. But now, on top of that, you now have no control over that boat. Well, I imagine that there's nothing worse for a sailor in a storm than to have a boat that's got no rudder. See, uncertainty and unpredictability with no control, that's not a situation anyone likes to be in, I imagine. I certainly don't. So tonight I want to show you a situation of uncertainty, unpredictability and with no ability to have any control that defies the norm. And the reason for that is so that we can So that when we're faced with this uncertainty, this unpredictability and seemingly have no control, that we might have a renewed way of looking at it and dealing with it. So if you picked up Genesis chapter 6, we're going to read from verse verse 8 and we're going to read a little bit about Noah. This is not a story that you'll be unfamiliar with. I'm, I'm sure you know the story very well. So I want to read from verse from verse 8 and then we're going to jump to verse 13 and read down to verse 18. So the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then at verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And then just over to uh, chapter 7 and verse 7. 
And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Let's pray before we get in the message. Father, we just want to commit this message to you, Father. We thank you for your word and thank you that it strengthens us. And uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless our time tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Noah went in to the ark. I want you to notice that seemingly insignificant word, in. And I'll come back to that later. But I wonder if you noticed something that was missing in the instructions of the ark. There was no steering wheel and no rudder. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that God ever said to Noah, I want you to make a steering wheel, a wheel, a helm, and I want you to make a great big rudder at the back of it. So with no helm and no rudder, Noah had no way to control that ark. I mean, the ark was big, we know that. And having no control over a big boat like that, that's, uh, that's a pretty interesting situation to be in. There was no ability to determine the path, the destination or the outcome of their journey. Even if Noah wanted to take some level of control, there would have been little he could have done given the size of the ark and the conditions that he would have been operating in. He would have, he would have expended an enormous amount of energy to fight against the waves and the current and it would have made no difference to the outcome at all. None whatsoever. But we know that Noah was never in any danger during his time in the ark, even though the situation was full of uncertainty and danger. See, with no ability to steer the ark, Noah had no ability to change the course. Uh, They were seemingly at the mercy of the water, the waves, the wind, and the unseen dangers in the water. I mean, imagine the debris. When you read about how the earth was flooded, and if you've ever seen a flood, you'll know that there's plenty of debris that floats around. And there would have been, there would have been de- huge amounts of debris that could have been floating around and could have easily sunk that ark. The fact that they were in the ark was the key to them surviving the journey and to getting to their destination. So being in that ark was how they survived the uncertainty and the dangers associated with their journey, right? See, I really don't know how precarious that that time in the ark was for Noah and his family, but I imagine that with what was happening on the earth at the time, it would not have been smooth sailing. There's no doubt there were waves and strong currents, like I said before, huge amounts of debris in that water that could have, you know, damaged the ark, sunk it. There could have been any number of situations in that whole time that they were on that ark where things could have gone wrong and that thing could have sunk. Um, See, this would have been some very unfamiliar territory for Noah and his family. There was no dry land. Can you imagine that? Imagine there's no dry land. And dry land, a bit of terra firma, is really something that we have great comfort and great certainty in. If you don't like flying or you don't like being on the water... It's like you get back on solid ground and you kiss the ground. It's like the Pope, you know. You come off the airplane, come down, kiss the ground because you're just glad to be back on, on terra firma, on solid ground. Well, they didn't have that. There was nothing familiar that they could hold on to for comfort or for certainty, even down to the point where they couldn't even control the journey. They had absolutely no control over it. So with all that in mind, we know that there was no safer place 
to be than in the ark because we have the book, we have the outcome, right? We know. But why is that? Well, we also know the reason for that is because the ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you study the ark out, you'll see that it is a type of the Lord. See, Noah in the ark paints a really sweet picture of a believer who is encased or is wrapped in the presence, the power and the protection of Jesus. So here's where I want to get to tonight. Here's the thought. That's all a little bit of background. Would it be true to say that when we come into unpredictable and uncertain times where we seemingly have no control over anything, that when we get to these places, we look for Jesus, right? We look around. We sort of look around to see where, where is he in this? Where are you, Lord? And, and we sort of have this, when, when will you show up? And we cry out to him for help. But I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17 with me for a moment. Just turn to Acts chapter 17. This verse changed the way that I look at, look at that, these types of situations. When I got an understanding of this verse, it renewed my mind to some things. And I hope that, and, and I hope that it does for you tonight too. And I hope that it strengthens you. That's my prayer, that this, that this strengthens and comforts you. Because we all go through times of uncertainty, unpredictable times, and times where we seem to have no control over things. That's, that's life. That's, that's, that's life of any given person in this world and especially the life of believers sometimes. So Acts chapter 17, I want you to have a look at verse 28 and just the first part of that verse. It says, For in him we live and move and have our being. For in him we live, we have life. In him we, we have life, we have direction and we have purpose. We live, we move, we have our being. In him, everything in the life of a believer is wrapped or encapsulated or enclosed in him. So if that's the case then, the reality is that because we are in him, because we are encased in him, we're encased in his presence, his power, his protection, wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we don't need to look for him because he's already there. Take some time to think about, digest that for a minute. See, we are not separate from him ever as born-again believers. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said that in Hebrews 13. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We are not separated from him ever. Nothing can take us out of his hand. He said that. Where we are, where we go, he is. See, when we find ourselves into a situation, he came into it with us. In fact, I'll go as far as to say is that he's already gone in ahead of us. We just didn't take the time to notice that he was with us or that he even met us in there. You all know the story in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar threw him in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar said he saw Jesus in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego didn't have to go looking for him. He was in there with them. He met them in there and he was already waiting for them in the fire. 
just like he is with us. He's the same today, yesterday, forever. The same God. See, Jesus is not an add-on to the journey of life. He is life. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He's not a part of the journey. He isn't something or someone we tack on to the journey of life. Jesus is the journey. He is the journey. See, if we see Jesus as someone or something that we can just bolt onto our lives and, and he just comes along for the ride, then we become the ones who set the direction on the journey. And that ultimately will lead us to defining our own direction and our own purpose. And we really don't want that. See, I think the reason we unconsciously see him as an add-on to our life is that for many of us, we came to him later in life and it was well after we had lived many years without him. And for many years, we were the captain of our own ship. One that we built, we set the direction and trusted in the universe, in fate, in our skills, our education, our IQ, and a bit of luck to get us to where we thought was a good place to get to, our destination. But see, after we're born again, we get a new captain. And the first thing he does is he transfers us off our ship onto his ship. And the first thing that we tend to do is to go looking for the steering wheel so we can control his ship. But there's none there. There's no steering wheel on his boat and there's no rudder. So let's end with this tonight. The reason we try to set the direction and steer the ship, I think, is because we fear where he will end up taking us. We go into unfamiliar territory in a boat with no rudder where there is comfort, you know, in a boat with rudder where there, where there is no rudder or the comfort of having a steering wheel that we can control and we have to hand over that control to someone else. But I want to comfort you with this thought to allay any of your fears. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 59. Psalm chapter 59. This is, a, this is a sweet verse, Psalm chapter 59. And there's, I, I really think there's just great comfort in this. Great comfort. Psalm chapter 59 and look at verse 9. Nope, it's not Psalm chapter, 50, Psalm, Psalms chapter 59 verse 9. I've got it wrong. No. Anyway. Forget that one. This is the verse. It's in Psalms, so you might have to word search this or Google it. Sorry about that. It says, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, and this is the bit I wanted to get, for God is for me. See, the God of the Bible, the same God that spoke all things into existence, the same God that healed the sick, raised the dead, and broke the yokes of bondage, the same God who filled his people with his spirit and empowered them to do his work, the same God who died on the cross and raised himself from the grave and took his own blood <coughs> to his own mercy seat, the same God who hears every prayer, who knows the number of hairs on your head, that same God is telling you that he is for you. 56 9, Psalm 56 9 it is. For God is for me. Well, of course he is. He gave his life for you and I. 
See, some of you are listening to lies about yourself and you have been for a long time. Some of you are listening to the lies in your head that God doesn't like you. That he's disappointed in you. In fact, that he's waiting to smack you around for every mistake, for every sin in your life. This is simply not true. And I will prove to you that it's not true through his word. See, you're listening to voices that tell you that you can never overcome, that you can never have victory and that you are worthless. See, maybe what needs to change for us all is to stop looking at him as part of the journey of life and actually make him the journey. Then he becomes the captain of the ship, the steering wheel and the rudder. And someone who is for you, like he said he is, and proven that he is, he is for us with his life, is never going to lead us to a place that is not good for us. I want to leave you with two verses, and I'll just read them. You don't have to turn there. But we see this in Jeremiah 29, 11. Comforting verses. He said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. He said, saith the Lord, Listen to what he thinks towards us. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. And why? To give us an expected end. Well, what's the expected end? <coughs> Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, God is for you. He is not against you. He has thoughts of peace and not of evil towards you. And so when we when you I, I guess the thought of the message is that if God is for us and He's proven that with His life and His love, that when we are in Him we have the protection of His presence and His power. And so when we find ourselves in these unpredictable, uncertain situations where there appears to be just no ability to control it. Maybe keep that maybe just remember that we don't have to go looking for him. He's already there. He went in there with you, he'll stay in there with you, but he will bring you out. Let's pray. Father, just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. And I just thank you that you love us and that you lead us and walk with us the way that you do. Pray, bless the word tonight. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.